only powerful in the rivers or only powerful in the fields. He's a God of heaven and earth and isn't restrained by any physical, physical thing, isn't restrained by any human army. He is almighty God. And even the nations around could see this. And then when they went through the wilderness, and don't ask me how this worked, but we're told that the presence of God was there like a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. And wherever he was, the people rested. And when these things lifted up, his, the, the, the evidence of his presence lifted, they moved with him through the wilderness. So every day of their life, they had evidence before their eyes that Almighty God who does things was their God and that they were his people and he is with them. Extraordinary things. And so they're told, they're given the Ten Commandments, but they have all this background to the Ten Commandments. They have all this background that, that God is this mighty God. In fact, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, we're told, and it says here, it, it says that uh, the people went up to the mountain, and the mountain was smoking with the presence of God. And they were fearful because they heard the voice of God speaking with men, and men lived. And they said, We'd, we're scared of this God. Please go up, Moses, to God yourself, because we're scared of this God, but ask God to watch over us. And so Moses went up. When Moses did speak with the Lord during that wilderness period, the presence of God was so awesome that the face of Moses literally shone because as they said, God speaks face to face with man. And he had to cover his face because of the brightness of the radiance of it. So these Israelites, a fantastic deliverance from slavery, an awesome journey with God through a wilderness, coming into a promised land. And Moses is saying, remember the Lord our God is one Lord. He is mighty God. He is I am. Remember all the great things which your own eyes have seen and your ears have heard. And then speak about these things to your children. Tell your children, this is not just to parents we're talking, this was to the whole people of Israel. Your children, the generations, your generations, the generations to come. Talk about these things to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Talk about them when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and have these things so close to you that they is, as it were, bound to your hand that whatever you touch, however you use yourself, is going to be governed by your understanding of God, by his law. Have it bound round your head so that however you think, your thinking is, is swamped, as it were, with your knowledge of God's way of doing things. And your home, when you go inside your house and out of the clatter and the bang and the frustration and the pressure of life out there, and when you get in and put your feet up and sigh and say, ah, now I can just be me, still on your doorpost, have a reminder that you are you 
through the grace of God. And in your homes, remember him. Now, I want to ask you a question because I can't read minds and I don't know your lives. But I want to ask you a question. Do you talk about these things in your home? Do you talk about them when you're out in the park, or on a journey, on the way? Do you remember these things when you lie down to sleep, when you get up to rise, to get up, rise to get up? When you put your hand to something, are you aware of God, or go into your home, or think? The thing is, the Israelites were given the law, and they lived, they trusted in God, but they lived by the law. And you and I live after Jesus Christ. What have we got to remember? Think back to the day when you first believed. When Jesus brought you out of your slavery to sin, your slavery to fear, your slavery to whatever it was, when Jesus brought you out into the light of God and you suddenly saw a day which you didn't know existed, though it was there all the time, you, you sensed that there was a, a dimension here which had been there all the time but you'd been dead or you'd been blind to it or it had been lost to you. When you suddenly realise that God fills the earth and life is glorious and wonder and miracle is everywhere. Think of that day. Think of your day. I wrote about my day for a magazine. I had a uh, a regular article in a Christian magazine up until a year ago. I wrote this for it. This is my testimony, about written years afterwards, about the day after I believed. A sniff of resurrection was in the air, so I shouldn't have been surprised. After all, there was more than one way of rising from the dead, and that morning I stepped out of bed like a man throwing off his shroud. It was as if the sun was shining on a cloudy day. I washed I might even have shaved, and then I was off, striding out positively for an unscheduled appointment. The mood stayed with me when I got there, too, although the general atmosphere was as glum as usual. Where there's hope, it fills the place, but where the hope has evaporated, there's emptiness. And that's how it was. Men shuffling around, clearing their throats, scraping chairs in a shared lethargy. For me, though, today was different. For the first time... Since I'd been going there, I was alive. I want to work. I don't mind what it is, anything will do, I said. Now, if I was surprised at what was happening to me, you can manage the astonishment of the benefits officer. His notes said I was unemployable. At first, he just gawped, and then in a daze, he flicked, flicked aimlessly through the cards on his desk before excusing himself to speak to the supervisor. They found me work in the benefits office filing case notes. You see, the day before was an Easter Sunday. My girlfriend, I'm just going to call her Dee, though the article, she was my girlfriend. Dee and I had been going to church quite regularly, and the people had welcomed us. They bore patiently with my rudeness, they overlooked my bad language, and refused to be put off by my attempts to shock them. I liked them. And I was curious to know how God and Jesus fitted together, and where faith comes from things like that. But this Sunday was special. Some adults were to be baptised and flooring had been taken away to expose a sunken pool to baptise them in. 
They were devoting themselves to God for life, I was told, promising to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So they were immersed in the water and buried there. Then, whoosh, the waters opened and they re-emerged like resurrected souls having left their faithless life behind, leaving it dead in the frothing waves. Now a new life soaked them, streaming and dripping from them like an anointing. The whole place crackled with a presence of what seemed like divine applause, giving, away, giving way to an embrace. And I imagine God telling them, you say that all of you is all for me? Well, all of me is all for you too. Then there was the singing, emotional praise rising to a crescendo of adoration. I didn't join in, but I listened and just let it wash over me, inviting me in inviting me in. And then the minister cut in with appeal. If you want to devote yourself to Jesus, please come now to the front. That, for me, that broke the spell. Cynicism moved in. Emotional twaddle, I thought. And I scanned the congregation scornfully to see who would be taken in by it. But only one person moved. D. I had to step aside out into the aisles to allow her to pass on the way to the front and my world caved in. She was quiet afterwards, and we didn't talk much, so I went off to my digs earlier than usual, feeling that perhaps something had come between us. But it wasn't religion. I could tell she hadn't caught that. It was something intangible, an experience she'd had. But I couldn't figure out how she'd got it. You see, we'd both agreed, we live here and we die here, but we still feel like aliens in our own backyard. And it depressed us. We're wired for transcendence, we thought, but the connections are broken. We need answers. I remembered the vibrancy of the baptisms, so I prayed. I want to live for you too, but I'm dead. Please help me. Next morning, I stepped out of bed alive, just like a man throwing off his shroud. Now that's what happened to me. How was it for you? And I tell you, Dee, who was a timid mouse and fearful at the time, couldn't stop talking about Jesus and what he'd done for her. And you know, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I became a bit of an embarrassment. I'm a bit more mature in the way I do it. But I couldn't not want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus had delivered me from this, this mess, this whatever it was, wired for transcendence. He'd reconnected me again. Now he's done that for you, hasn't he? And we, didn't, we weren't even married then. But when we were married and we had children, this came down through the ages. Tell them about it at home when you sit down. Tell them about it when you go out for a walk. Tell them about it when you lie down at night. Tell them about it when you rise up in the morning. This is why you have the life you have. Tell them why you have this life. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the things that Jesus taught you that enable you to live with this joy in your heart. Now I confess that over the years, I've lost that joy more than once. And God has to gently rebuke me. Remember the rock from which you were hewn, he says. Remember those first days and that first love. Return to me. Return to me.
And I want to put this to you, that Jesus is a saviour. The Bible tells me there is no other saviour given among men. We don't bully people about Jesus, but there is no other saviour because he's the one that God sent into this world because he loved this world which includes you and me so much. So let me ask you again, have you lost the heart to talk about it when you sit down or when you're on the way or when you go to bed? Maybe some of you are like a bruised reed. You've been knocked and bent and hurt, perhaps by the hypocrisy of the church, perhaps by the faithfulness, faithlessness of people. And you're bruised and you're bent and you're bowed down and you can't seem to look up like you used to. Well, Jesus doesn't break the bruised reed, you know. Just let the wind rustle through you and let your sigh go to Jesus. Because he'll come alongside you to strengthen you and straighten you. Or maybe once you had real fire in your bones, bones for Jesus, um, fire for Jesus, and that fire has gone out and you're like a dimly smoking wick. Jesus doesn't quench the dimly smoking wick. Start flickering towards him again. And Jesus will come and gently blow like he did on the disciples. Receive the spirit. Live again. Cut away and get the flame going again. Are you lost? Jesus is the good shepherd. Did you lose your way? Perhaps you've just messed up. I've messed up a few times in my Christian life. I don't like to talk about it, so I won't. But I can tell you I've messed up. Messed up so much that like the prodigal son, at first I just despair and could gladly eat the pods that the pigs have. And then somehow or another, by the grace of God, I've come to myself again, said, I don't deserve this, but I'm going back to my father. Do you know the parable of the prodigal son perhaps should be called the parable of the waiting father? Because the prodigal didn't have to say anything. He didn't even reach the house. The father saw him coming and ran to him. So did you mess up? Do you know the father is waiting to run to you? Because Jesus, his son, has already purchased your salvation with his blood and is already interceding. That means praying on your behalf. Or maybe you've just been robbed. There's a lot of de deconstruction going along 
ground in books and theology these days. I don't disapprove of all of it by any means. I think it's good. We have to rethink the things that we've just carried forward from a previous generation and make them vital and real for our new generation. We have to ask whether the things that have been handed down to us are things which are biblical or whether they're just traditional or Baptist. We have to get rid of stuff, but we have to keep the germ, the truth. And maybe some people have just been robbed. Because, you see, if what I'm saying all sounds too simple, remember that other reading from Mark chapter 10, the one I kind of acted out. Let the children come to me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. And unless you receive the, unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you won't enter it. If what I'm saying is too simple for you, then perhaps you're too complicated. Or perhaps you're too sophisticated. Or perhaps, and God forbid, you're too self-reliant. Because Jesus made this as simple enough for little children. A first is brilliant. Oh, I wish I had a first. But Jesus has made this simple enough for children. When I was at London Bible College, what seems like hundreds of years ago, the whole student body was summoned one afternoon into the, into the chapel, unexpectedly. What was going to happen? Had there been some serious outbreak of thievery or drunkenness? What were we there for? When the principal walked in, Behind him was Billy Graham. Now, some of you may be too young to know who Billy Graham was. He may be the most remarkable evangelist God has ever raised up. Do you know, he preached to 80 million people worldwide. And 3 million people worldwide became Christians. The Chinese government asked him to go. The North Korean government at the time asked him to go. The leader of the Hungarian government during communist times begged him to come. He said, we're in a social mess. We're in a spiritual mess. We need your help. And yet Billy Graham simply preached Jesus Christ crucified. And that message of Jesus Christ crucified spoke to those millions of people. It's just a simple message. And when he spoke to us that day in the college chapel, didn't speak for long, he just said that the previous week he'd been Afri in Africa speaking to some tribal peoples in their tribal place. And the day before he'd been at Cambridge University speaking to the students. And he gave them both the same message. Jesus Christ crucified, and he is crucified for you. So again, I ask you and I ask me, do we need to be fanned into flame again? Do you need to be straightened up because you've been bent and broken? 
Have people robbed you of the truth you once had because they've deconstructed so much, they've taken away the simple faith and taken away the childness, not the childishness, but the child faith that you had. Well, you know you can come back to him, don't you, today? You know that he's in this place waiting for you. Because he loves you so much. If you want to talk to me afterwards, you can. But Ben, can we have those things up now? If you don't want to talk to me here, you can email me and we'll make an appointment to talk. Or you can phone me and we'll make an appointment to talk. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you're, most of you are already on the website. You can email the church and we'll do an email conversation. And if you're listening to me on iTunes, get onto the Cairns Road website and you can do it too. Because, Lord, give us that sense that the shroud has fallen off again. Give us a renewal in that first love, even though it may have been matured by the years in the way it expresses itself. Lord, fill us up again with such a love for Jesus that when we get up in the morning, we want to talk about him. And when we go along the way, we want to talk about him. And when we sit down in our house, we want to tell our kids and people about him. And when we go to bed, we just want to praise him and talk about him. Amen. We'll have a moment of quiet.